Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. I can tell I'm well known around here. You might have heard that comment, but he said, preach a long time, I'll be back. So I want you to think about one of your top five gifts that you've ever been given in your life, probably Christmas, but it could be birthday. So think about some of the best gifts you've ever been given. So I'll tell you a couple for me. When I was about 10, my mom and dad gave me a recurve bow, you know what a recurve bow, like an old-fashioned bow and arrow before they had all these fancy things, a recurve bow, and it was wrapped just like a recurve bow, so I knew like four, three weeks before Christmas what I was getting for Christmas. So I took it in the backyard on Christmas Day. We, If you've never been to Mom and Dad's house, there's a creek in the backyard, and there's a hill on the other side, so you could set a target on the hillside, and if you missed, it was just going to go into the dirt, right? So I drew a target on the on the box that I had out there, went out, and so I called Mom and Dad out and got all excited, and so I said, here, here, Mom, you, you try it. Now, I'm 10, right? So when I'm 10, my mother is 35. When you're, I hate to do this, ladies, but when you're 10, you think 35-year-old women are not only old, but they can't do anything, <laughs> right? Okay, so she, she drew the bow back and literally let that arrow fly, and you could not have drawn a per, more perfect bullseye. I was like, what in the world? So I said, do it again, Mom. And my dad said, friend, I don't think I'd do that. She drew the second arrow back, missed the target by 20 feet. Probably a Christmas or two later, I asked for and received a car set. Now, from where you are, this will look like a Hot Wheels car, but this is like a, the motorized kind. You put the track together, and you had a thing, and you could, you know, and you make it go fast and whatever. This is actually one from, I had to get up in the attic this past week so I could have a sermon illustration uh, from that set. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. One, because I wanted it. Secondly, in our neighborhood, the people who lived across the street and over were the Ellisons, and by our neighborhood standards, they were filthy rich, okay? My friend Jimmy got the very same set the very same year. I'm thinking, man, we have hit the big time. <laughs> now, you think about that. I, at one point in my life, I thought this was the best gift I had ever been given. Wow. Times change, right? Some gifts that you've opened at Christmas and you think, what is it? You, you don't even know what the gift is. You ever have that happen? Or maybe you say internally or you blurt out, so what does it do? <laughs> you don't know if it makes hot chocolate or dices food or something you put on your car engine to give it more power. You have no idea. Some gifts uh, get better with age. As an example, my wife's brother, Gordon, when our kids were little, every year at Christmas, he would give the kids a 50 or $100 savings bond. Imagine being a four-year-old kid, you get a $100 savings bond, which matures in 17 years. <laughs> wow, that's a game changer, right? Yeah. 
Now, here's what happened. They turned 16, 17, and start thinking about buying their first car. They say, hey, Dad, are those savings bonds mature yet? Now it becomes a really good gift, right? It was a crummy gift when they were four, but at 16, 17, 18, this is a nice gift. Uh, I think you all would agree that Christmas uh, is over-commercialized. But at the same time, uh, it was God who was the first giver. So we shouldn't throw under the bus this whole idea of giving. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to to think about what God gave you. And we're going to go to one particular passage. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. So if if you have your Bible or a device, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll look at just two verses, verses 6 and 7, to see what Isaiah the prophet said about the best gift you've ever been given. Now you're in Isaiah 9, I want you to do this because context is really important. Remember that's what's going on in the story. So in Isaiah chapter 1, if you want to turn back about seven, eight pages, we read this. Basically I'll give you the idea and we'll read it. That Israel as a nation was disregarding and was disobedient to God. Sounds a little bit like 2023 in this country, yes? And here's what Isaiah says, verse 2 and 3 of chapter 1. Listen, O heavens and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. The sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. In other words, they are a long way from me. His people, Israel. Same chapter, verse 23. Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everybody loves a bribe, chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, they do, nor does the widow's plea come before them. So there's corruption in government, taking bribes and chasing after. Not going to get political, we just move, keep on moving, okay? Chapter 6, verse 1, we'll just look at that, and I promise, and then we'll go on to chapter 9. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe fell in the temple. King Uzziah had been king for 51 years, largely a very good king. So think about 51 years ago. That would be 1972, right? Think about somebody being a president in this country from 72 to right now and being a really, really good king or president in this case. And suddenly he dies and you're thinking, huh, who are we going to get next? That's kind of what's going on in the story. All right. Now chapter 9. And the prophet Isaiah gives us these words that you have heard lots of times. They often appear on Christmas cards. By the way, before we read it, this idea is kind of future. This is going to happen. Now, from our perspective, 2,700 years later, some of this has happened, but some of it's still future. So think future for Isaiah's day, past tense, some of it for our day, and some is still future for our day. Here we go. Chapter 9, verse 6. Notice the future tense here. For a child not has been will be born to us, and a son will be what? So that's the idea of this gift, right? So you're, Isaiah, you're, you're going to prophesy, but, but God's going to give a gift, and this gift is going to be in the form of a son. Huh. Okay? And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end of the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So this gift that we will be given for them, but for us have been given, is given some titles. Wonderful counsel, the mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now this is not rocket science. Who does that? Re- who do all those refer to? Jesus. Jesus. Great. So let's talk about some of those terms. No, he's such an incredible person, being God. You can't describe him in one term. So Isaiah gives us about five, and other places give us some more. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So this idea of being wonderful. The word wonderful there, we, by the way, we overuse that. We get a gift. Oh, that's wonderful. How was your steak tonight? Oh, it was wonderful. We use it about everything. Okay. Well, the word wonderful here means distinguished, extraordinary. I like this. Having no peers separate from the rest. Having no peers. The word wonderful used here is often used in the Old Testament of miracles. When the Bible talks about God doing wonders, same word used here. So miraculous, having no peers. You know, for all the gods that people make, Jesus has no peers. I mean, there are other gods that people can make up, but he, he's got no peers. I have lots of peers who do what I do. The association that our college is a part of is called the Association of Biblical Higher Education. There are 160 other presidents in that group. That's not all the rest of them, just 160 in our group. So I have 159 peers just in that little group. Jesus has no peers. Okay? So I thought about that the last couple of weeks, thinking about coming here. Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 5, Eli is the priest, and the Ark of the Covenant is stolen by the Philistines, and it's there for a while? And they have the Ark of the Covenant, which is kind of like where God dwelt, right? Uh, I've been here long enough. Y'all can do this. I mean, keep you awake and you're cracking on me. Okay. And so the Ark of the Covenant is in Philistine hands, and they set it up in this temple of their God called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N. And they come back the next morning. Remember Dagon? Flat on his face. And they set him back up. By the way, it's bad news when you have to prop your God up. Okay. Now see if we can help you out here. So it's like they prop him up, and it's like Jesus is there. He's kind of going. <laughs> he keeps falling over like, wow, this is, this is not good. When your God flat on his face to another guy, you might want to choose different guys, yes? <laughs> I think about Elijah in 1 Kings 19. The prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, remember the Canaanite gods, the goddess, god and goddess of fertility? And... Uh, because he was the god of fertility, they would, okay, he causes rain, and because rain often has lightning, he'd cause lightning. So this challenge, okay, your god should cause lightning, and if he doesn't cause lightning, then Elijah says, then my god will. And they cry, and they do all this stuff, and cut themselves, and nothing ever happens. And he pours all this water on this sacrifice, and boom, it's gone. You know, if you have to cry for six hours, and Elijah says, maybe your god's using the restroom, you got the wrong god. He has no peers. And just one last one. Remember the God that Egypt had when Israel was in Egypt uh, during under Moses, uh, uh, not Aaron, but Moses' lifetime? One of the gods they had was called Ra, R-A. He's the sun god. And uh, when you have a sun god, guess what you want to have happen every morning? Sunrise. Sunrise. <laughs> Lo behold. And so God says, okay, we'll just make it dark for a few days. That kind of does a little damage to your sun god, right? He has no peers. He has zero peers. Now, it doesn't have to be just gods that we worship in the sense of, you know, Ra or, or Baal or Dagon or whatever. It can be the gods that we Americans worship, which we're pretty good at this. We make it slick, like a new vehicle, 
uh, the great address where you know, that's my home. And the stuff we own. And Solomon, who was the Elon Musk of his day, writes in Solomon in, in uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 and 3, I tried it all, and it was absolutely empty. He has no peers. Nothing like him, no one like him, never has been, never will be. Back to verse 6. His name will be called Wonderful. Secondly, Counselor. The word counselor means to deliberate, to form a design, to do something with wisdom, skill, and reflection. Uh, you know, do you, would you admit to this? When you make small decisions, you don't need a whole lot of wisdom. Like this morning when I got here, there was like two boxes of donuts in there. You didn't have to get on your knees and ask the Lord, 30 minutes should you take the chocolate or the plane, did you? <laughs> That's not that. You just take one, all right? But you really want some wisdom on, like, who would you marry? If you're going to make a big purchase, maybe a job change, career change. You really want some wisdom on those biggies that will influence life. Wow. You know, the Old Testament kings had counselors. David had this guy named Ahithophel was his counselor. A couple generations later, David's grandson Rehoboam, remember Solomon's son? He took the throne, and he got two sets of counselors. He got the old guys, and he got the young guys. He said, here, I'm going to make a decision. Give me some counsel. And the old guy said, I'll do this. The young guy said, no, you ought to do that. And don't take offense to this. He went with the young guys, and their counsel was abysmal. It was terrible. And it split the nation into two. So, so who you go to for counsel can be really important. Now, in my place of ministry, I have a group called the Board of Directors. Most churches have a deacon board, an elder board, a board of trustees, something that helps the person who's leading the daily operations, if you will, make a wise decision. That's really important. So, so uh, if he's our counselor, how does he give us counsel? Well, here's a couple thoughts. Mostly, right here. Now, here's the bad news. People who identify, self-identify as evangelicals. Nobody else called them that. They said on a survey, which one you check the box, you know, this, this, or this, and they said, oh, I'm an evangelical Christian. Great. A little bit later in the survey, so how many times in a normal year, church doesn't count, just on your own in your private life, how many times in a year do you read the Bible? You know what the average was nationally? Two to three. That's not in a week. That's not in a month. That's in a year. We wonder why we have we make some of the worst decisions personally and collectively sometimes because we're not going to the right source for counsel. There you go. We also get wisdom from other people. By the way, you like Rehoboam, you can get good counsel from people, you can get bad counsel from people. So how do you know if the counsel from the person or people you're going to is good or bad? How godly are they? How much like Christ are they? If they're like Christ and they're immersed in the Word, they're probably going to give you good counsel. Are they living the kind of lives that you'd say, you know, that's the kind of person I want to be. Jesus would be pleased if I was like them. Well, if that's the kind of person, then absolutely go to them for counsel. And I know you know this, but you also get wisdom, counsel through prayer. It's just talking to God. You, you just kind of pour out your heart to him, and he he has a way of kind of drawing you to a verse or something like, oh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. 
how regularly do you consult the Word and do you listen to them when he gives you advice, when he gives you counsel? I don't know about you, but sometimes I have my mind made up and I just want God to validate my plan. Anybody with me on that? Okay. He has a, Jesus has a deliberate, skillful plan. And are we trusting him to work it out? I, this past semester of school, I speak in chapel one time a month called President's Chapel. And I've been speaking on the life of Joseph. And it's just amazing to me. You know the story. He's sold by his brothers when he's 22. Excuse me, when he's 17. He gets in prison, falsely accused of rape. Finally gets out. Now he's in charge of everything and his brothers come down. He's now 39. 22 years have passed. And he can not stand it any longer and he just blurts out in chapter 45. I'm your brother Joseph. <laughs> you can imagine being one of the ten brothers. So like, oh man. And we're in trouble now. And he's not. A, and he says it in chapter 45 and he says it again in chapter 50. 17 years later when Jacob was dead and they think now we really had it because the old man's not around to protect us anymore. And he says, you meant it for harm, but God. That changes everything. But God meant it for good. See, he, he trusted that God works out a plan and he's going to do it. There's a great line I'll steal from somebody else. Dr. Jim Dobson, a long time with Focus on the Family, said this. Do you trust God's hand? Excuse me, do you trust God's heart even when you can't see his hand? Because when you look at your life, you're like, what in the world is going on? Sometimes God says, just trust me on this. And it may be next week, it may be next month, and it may be in the kingdom until you figure out, here's what God was doing. Back to verse 6. This best gift you've ever been given is not only wonderful, has no peers, counselor, but he's mighty God. He's powerful. The, the word there is El Gibor. That really blessed your socks, didn't it? Mighty God. He, he, it's a military term. It really means this. He's a God of the armies. He's the God of the armies. Now, you remember one time in the Old Testament, the Assyrians were camped against Jerusalem outside the walls. And this, this mighty God sent one angel. He didn't send an army of angels. He sent one angel. said, take care of them. One angel, 185,000 Assyrians. And that one angel is at the disposal of this mighty God. You can imagine the kind of power he has. By the way, in the future, remember some of this is going to be fulfilled in the future. Verse 7 talks about the, the uh, he's a prince of peace and there will be no end to the rule of his government. Someday, uh, he's going to come back. Isaiah, or, excuse me, Revelation 19 talks about it. This thing we often call Armageddon. All the armies of the world will be gathered in one place to see if they can just hammer Israel. And he comes back and he doesn't have these nukes, cannons and battleship and all. Here's what he does. He just says, and he speaks the word, and it's over. It's absolutely over. Wow. you got to be really, really powerful to do stuff like that. I think about, in my Through the Bible reading in recent days, I've just finished the book of Job, which you're familiar with. In Job 38 to 41, Job, God asked Job a few of these questions. Think about it in the light of, he's a God of might or power. He says, Job, have you ever made the sunrise? Imagine being a little speck like you are, like I am, on this little bitty planet. And God says to you, have you ever caused the earth to rotate and the sun to come up? Uh, of course not, Lord. Have you ever strolled the depths of the ocean? 
When I was in junior high, we studied this thing called the Marianas Trench. It's the deepest place in the entire ocean. It's 36,000 feet. That's 7,000 feet deeper than Mount Everest is high. And he said, I, I strolled through there. <laughs> I didn't have a special equipment. I made it, and I just strolled through there on a morning stroll one time. You ever done that, Joe? No. Have you ever held the stars in place? No, can't say as I have a Joe, have you ever caused the hawks to soar in the sky long before the Wright brothers figured out how that stuff works? I just, you can see this stuff here in Oklahoma, right? I love watching red-tailed hawks. How do they do that? God said, I, I made them that way, Joe. You ever, you ever done that, Joe? No, of course not. <clears throat> Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think. That's the God we're talking about here. This gift that you were given on Christmas 2,000 plus years ago. Nothing is impossible or hopeless with him. So whatever situation you're in, whatever sin or addiction you struggle with, he can handle it. I've got a guy that sits on my cabinet at the college. His name is Chris. Chris is a retired attorney. Uh, 35 years ago, just over 35 years ago, it was 35 years last week, he would tell you he was an alcoholic and he was addicted to cocaine. And his cocaine dealer uh, got busted and basically turned him in so he could kind of like cut a deal with the police. So Chris is arrested. He's like 5'7", and he was down to 105 pounds. Cocaine and alcohol had done to him. 105 pounds. Lost his law license for a couple years. But God turned everything around. And a week ago, Friday, was his 35th year of sobriety. He got saved through that and got sober through all that. That's the kind of God that we have. When it says in this text, he's a mighty God, he's not joking, he's not exaggerating. He really is a mighty God. Well, moving on. My time is fleeting. He's back in verse 6. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Next one in my NAS is Eternal Father. The old King James says Eternal Father. That's not a really good translation. Here's why. Because Jesus is different than the Father. They're not the same. In the Trinity, we have the Father, a distinct person, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. They have the same character, but distinct people. So here's a better Hebrew translation. He's the Father of Eternity. The idea of Father means source, originator, author. He's the cause of all things. Remember Colossians 1 says that he, he, he spoke all this stuff and holds it in place. Or John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, and he made everything. He's the source of all this stuff. I don't know where I got the quote, but here you go. When time began, it's about Jesus, when time began, he was there winding the clock. I have a mantle clock at home, seven days. And you can tell about day five, it's you know, like a, little bit, a, little, a little bit slow, like some of us. <laughs> Need that morning coffee, whatever, my clock, wind it up. When, when time began, he was there winding the clock. And when time ceases, it will be he who throws out the last clock. You can do that when you're eternal. <laughs> you start time, and you, you can finish time, as we know it. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorites, who's now with the Lord, says this, if you want something eternal... You'll need to get it from him. You don't get eternal things from very temporal people like we are. Moses said in Psalm 90, you get 70 or 80 years and that's it. Why would I go to you or why would you go to me for something everlasting? I'm just going to be here for seven or eight decades anyway. 
others come and go, he's going to be king forever. You think you get a little bit of an amen on that one. <laughs> I tell my students all the time when it comes to Jesus and his eternal reign, Jesus isn't looking for votes. He never breaks com- com- campaign promises, and he's never coming up for re-election. This should be really good news. That's the kind of God we have. <laughs> By the way, you know the name uh, Charles Ryrie, probably, Ryrie Study Bible. He said it well. If it's not eternal life that he gives, then he misnamed it. You, know, you don't get eternal life and it's yours for a while, but then until you mess up and God's woken, no, 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 <laughs> you messed up, that was really a big one, so now I'm going to withdraw that gift. Then it's not eternal life. It's everlasting life because it's everlasting. There should be a praise God on that one. Because if my everlasting life is based on my performance, i got a lot to worry about. Anybody say amen to that one? So he's eternal father, father of eternity. Prince of peace is the next one. You know the Hebrew word for peace, it's shalom. They say it all the time. The way Jewish people read each other, shalom. Kind of like we say, hey, or how you doing, or whatever. They say shalom. That is shalom, peace, is not just the absence of war, though that is included. It also means a wholeness. When they think about shalom in, in Judaism, it's a wholeness. You're, you're whole, your relationship with God, uh, vertical is good, and horizontal, your relationship with other people is good. Now, if that describes a person, they say he's at peace. He's good with God, and he or she's good with people. You remember the, uh, it's in Luke 2.14, we're not going to turn there. But in Luke 2.14, the angel said to the shepherds, Peace, goodwill toward men with whom God is pleased. We have peace. By the way, peace among men with whom God is pleased. Remember what the Bible says in Hebrews 11? Without faith it's impossible to please him. So who, who are the men and women? Who are the people that God is pleased with? Those who by faith believe the message of the gospel and they become reconciled to God. That's this idea of peace. We have peace with God. Wow. By the way, it's peace with God. That's where it starts. But then Jesus also said in John 14 through 16, what we often call the upper room discourse, he said, My peace, he's talking to believers, 11 disciples, my peace I give with you, or to give you, not as the world gives. I give you that kind of peace. So the idea of peace, we can have peace with God, yes. Then he also gives us peace in the midst of your circumstances. That's this calmness of heart that no matter what is going on in your situation, it's okay. Remember Paul in Philippians, he says, be anxious for, but in everything by, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Here's, the, here's it in English, okay? Which will blow your mind. You cannot explain that kind of peace. That's the idea of surpasses all comprehension. You can't explain that kind of peace, but it's the kind of peace that God gives. Hmm. I'm thankful mom and dad raised us to memorize scripture. We used to have this thing way back in the 60s and 70s called Bible Memory Association, BMA. And you had to memorize six, eight, ten verses a week, word perfect. Well, guess what? Years later, you can call those things back to mind. Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Wow. See, this gift that we were given 20 centuries plus ago 
is a prince who gives peace with God. And when you get that, then he also provides, if we'll accept it, peace in our circumstances and peace with other people as much as it lies within us to have peace with them. Peace with God. Peace with God and the peace of God. Now think about that a minute. Just in this couple verses here, this great gift you've been given. He's wonderful. He has no peers. He's counselor. He works things out wisely. He plans things and executes them. He's mighty God. There's nothing impossible for him. He's father of eternity. It means he's a creator and he's a life giver. He's prince of peace. He, he brings wholeness to life. So here's the question. Are you focused on the best gift you've ever been given this Christmas season? I, I am embarrassed to tell you how much I would focus on stuff like that as a kid. And I got a little more sophisticated as a young adult than it would be the vehicle I drove or my house address or whatever. And you look back and think, really? Come on, Corver. That's the best gift you've ever been given? No. By the way, I know this. Coming up on Christmas, you have probably in your lifetime had a few presents under the tree. Yes? How do you usually uh, get those presents? Well, you open them. You, you, you receive the gift. Somebody says, there you go. That's for you. I, I, I'm giving you this. Well, I know this. I, you could be given a gift but never receive the gift. Well, Jesus offered a gift 2,000 plus years ago through his death on Calvary's cross. See, I know you know this. Christmas is the first of a trilogy. It's a great day, absolutely. But Christmas, then there's Good Friday, as we call it. Then there's Easter. You take out any one of those three and we're in trouble. Then he offers this gift called everlasting life. He says, I'm the one who conquered the grave. I'm offering you my life, which is everlasting, for free. Just receive the gift. So here's the question. Have you received his gift of eternal life? Now, without putting anybody on the spot, if you can't point to a time in your life when you said, absolutely, right here. Maybe you haven't. So if you said to me, so Bill, when is your wedding? Not bump into people over the years who aren't good on dates and they get really embarrassed. <laughs> they can't recall their wedding day. Yep. Okay. That doesn't mean you're not married if you can't recall your wedding day. Some of y'all can breathe a sigh of relief right about now. But if I said to you, okay, so that's, that's okay if you can't remember your wedding day, but can you remember getting married? Can you remember the ceremony or the date? I mean, this is the event. And if you were to say, no, I can't remember that either, here's what I would do. I'd say, you know, I'm not really sure you're married. If I can't remember the date, the ceremony, nothing. So can you call a time in your life when you stop trusting in you and started trusting in Jesus' promise to give you life everlasting. If you haven't, today be a great day to do that, to receive the best gift that God's ever offered that you could ever get. Now, for many of us, we can say, oh yeah, I can remember the date. I can remember the event. Absolutely great. Well, are you thankful this season? One thing I hated at the time, love it now, my mom and dad were really good about this. We had big family. Dad's one of eight, mom's one of six kids, and so we had lots of aunts and uncles. And we got a lot of gifts every Christmas. I mean, our living room was just covered over with presents, and we'd go around and open them, you know, whatever. And we opened them on Christmas Eve, I think, though mom and never has never confirmed this. She and dad wanted to make Christmas about Christ, but secondly, on a more human level, they wanted to enjoy some peace and quiet Christmas morning. <laughs> but here was the rule. This is a great rule to have, by the way before we could play with any of this kind of stuff on Christmas morning, 
Billy, did you write your thank you notes to Aunt Jerry and Aunt Jan and so and so? So scribble out thank you notes. That's a great discipline to build into some kids. Now, far more than that, this Christmas, are you thankful to Jesus for that great gift He gave you? Whether you get anything under the tree or not is basically irrelevant. You've been given the greatest gift ever. May I encourage you, if you've not received it, accept it today. If you have, give Him thanks. Let me lead you some prayer, okay? Father, we uh, we should reflect on passages like this more when we come on Christmas season. Though clearly we have over-commercialized Christmas, there is clearly something about the holiday and your character that has got giving and involved in it. Thank you for giving us the best gift ever, your son Jesus, to be our Savior. Thank you for the many truths about him, that he's wonderful, counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace. We're grateful for those many, many truths. Pray for the person or people here who can't point to a time in their life when they accepted that gift by faith. They would do it today, December 10, 2023. For those of us who have, Lord, make us in this Christmas season of 2023 people who are filled with thanks for all that you've given and done for us, but especially and mostly because of what we have in Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.